conversation with amazing wrestler and American muscle mechanic Amber Nova and I've got the return of the weekly recap with Raw, NXT's Great American Bash and Smackdown. So sit back, relax and listen to this new bonus episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. So I've got Miss Amber Nova here with me on the show. She is an amazing and accomplished wrestler and mechanic here in the United States. So Amber, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, uh, thank you so much for that introduction. Yes, I loved it. Well, good. So I'm gonna start you off by asking what I ask everyone on my show and that's when did you fall in love with wrestling? Oh, um, probably about the same time you did as a child, um, young kid watching wrestling with dad at home and then going to live events. And, um, you know, the older I got, you know, I pursued a different career path. It was uh, EMT. I was a, a EMT in South Carolina doing medical transport. And then I saw these incredible, beautiful, amazing women you'd probably know of, uh, Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte Carmella coming up in the WWE Performance Center in Orlando um, about six, seven years ago. And I was like, wow, you know, these women are my age. They're not that size of China. Maybe I could do this. And it was just incredible what they were doing. Um, you know, I know that everyone's talking about the women's evolution, but I think honestly, the women's evolution has been going on even longer. It's just now it's really main eventing. And um, yeah, so that's really what made me take that uh, big step. Okay, so you were an ENT first. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how does how do you balance you know training for wrestling while also being an EMT, you know, and also being a mechanic as well? So um, I didn't work um, as a mechanic, but I do drive a '73 Chevy Nova, all American muscle car. Dad is a mechanic, and Dad taught me basic car maintenance. So I changed my own oil, and I'm a little mechanic myself, but more like home maintenance. Um, you know, if someone's car breaks down, I have helped them fix it before, but I don't work as a mechanic. I did work as an EMT back home in South Carolina, but when I moved to Orlando, I left my career behind as well as all my friends and family, and moved here alone because I couldn't work 
24, 36 hour, you know, shifts on an ambulance and wrestle and train and travel and go to the gym and maintain. Plus EMTs don't make that much money. So instead I got a bartending certification and I bartended for a while before modeling and wrestling picked up. Wow. That's a pretty cool journey, like to be able to do that. And I feel like personally, EMT should make more with what they do. Like, oh, yes. you guys are essentially heroes and, you know, you don't really think about it, but definitely it's like last year, um, definitely it sort of, you know, made you sort of realize, you know, a lot of what EMTs and doctors and nurses really are, they're like superheroes, you know, without the powers, you know, yeah. but they do have powers and they deserve to be paid a whole lot more. So I'm, 100%. I, really, I agree I really, with you. Yeah, I really respect the fact that that was your profession. And even though you had to sort of let it go to be a wrestler of some sort, you still found a way to support yourself. What exactly is bartending like though? Cause you did mention that. <laughs> Um, bartending is a lot of fun. Um, you know, you meet some interesting people, long nights, very, very exhausting on your feet, um, tiring. Uh, it was good though. It was fun. And, and honestly, bartending, you know, um, uh, very personal conversation. I think it even helped in wrestling. Um, just, just being personable and, um, just having a, you know, being able to always draw the conversation and. So uh, I had a good time bartending. I actually bartended in Disney Springs, a whiskey bar, some wine bars, a couple places around Orlando, some nightclubs. And um, I guess I'm a jack of all, a Jill of all trades. <laughs> cool. So during your training, I've, you know, with the information that you've shared with me, you know, before our time together here, you mentioned that you've been trained um, by some of the greats in the business, like Hector Guerrero, um, Lince Dorado um, from WWE, who's currently a part of the Lucha House Party now, and even Matt Seidel. So what are some of the greatest lessons that you've learned from them, you know, in your training journey? And what are some other things that you've learned as well? I've learned so much of them. Um, so when I first moved to Orlando, Lindsay was one of the very first people that was helping train me. And I learned just the respect of the business, patience, um, how serious to take it and how, you know, some people don't take it that serious or respect it enough. And, you know, having patience, being safe in the ring. Um, I, I've learned some really good technical, transitional, lucha style wrestling. Um, from Lindsay, as well as Matt, lots of technical, um, transitional stuff. So uh, it's been very, it's been very good. I've gotten to learn from many great people in the business. So I want to say that, like my experience, um, is very diverse because I've been able to learn from so many different people that I took it and involved Amber Nova. Great. Um, so since you also mentioned that your dad is a mechanic, like how you mentioned how you guys watched wrestling together. So I imagine he was very supportive when he found out that you were going to train and become a wrestler. Yes, he was. Um, when I first told him, he lit up with his big smile on his face. He was like, get out of here. No, you're not. <laughs> and then he's like, you know, because he was watching, you know, Sasha and Bailey and these young girls with me on, on TV and. And, and, and watching them come up or when they were being featured. And and um, he's like, well, if you're gonna do it, you better do it now. So I did. And I was uh, 23 when I started training. And it's been a few years now. I've wrestled for Impact, um, NXT, AEW. I've wrestled in three different countries, London, South Africa, Panama. 
before the pandemic, of course. But yes, it's been a killer ride. I imagine so. So, and then you also said that you wrestled all these different places sort of before the pandemic. Like, how did the pandemic sort of affect your career, you know, as it sort of affected everybody, you know, in a sense? So it sort of stopped a lot of things. So what did, how did you experience that and how did you pivot around it? Well, before the pandemic, I was traveling out of country. Um, I was hoping to go wrestle for Japan or some other countries. I was wrestling a lot out of state, which now I have been, um, you know, my bookings, everything's been picking up. Uh, the world is getting back to what we can at least call normal or try to be. I'm wrestling in Texas, Orlando, New York coming up in just the next few weeks. So um, wrestling more out of state. Don't know how out of country will be, but yeah, before the pandemic, um, I was doing well. And then uh, just like everybody, their career, every, I mean, everyone's life came to a hold. And what's more important is everyone's health and safety. But yes, I couldn't travel, I couldn't wrestle, I couldn't work. Um, so what really got me through was a lot of my fans and a lot of people like you with your podcasts and um, my merchandise or my autographed photos. So all my Nova heads out there that just like got geared up with me and kept giving me that drive, that Nova drive to keep going through the pandemic. I just wanna say thank you to all of you. And um, you guys give me that drive I need, that Nova drive. So that's how I got through the pandemic. And that's obviously, um, took a slowdown just like everybody else did a couple speed bumps in the road but now uh, you know we're just gonna keep on cruising yeah the road is smoothing out just a little bit um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm really glad that you had the experience of your fans sort of you know helping you to sort of push you through and pull you through that along with um, other podcasters as well um, which is also how I found out about you through one of my friends um, who had you on his show and I was just like oh cool so oh. yeah I'm really glad that you were able to um, push through that and now here we are hopefully on what could be described as the other side of it um yes <laughs> yes. yes so um you also mentioned um before our time together here that you are an American muscle mechanic but even though you said you know you have experience in that even though you've never really worked worked as a mechanic what exactly is that if you could explain to the listeners you know exactly what an American muscle mechanic is and what's so special about it in particular Sure. So my dad is a mechanic. He's been a mechanic his whole life from New Jersey, born and raised in, in Persephone, New Jersey. I was born in Jersey, Hackettstown, but I was raised in South Carolina. And um, my dad was always restoring classic cars. So your 1969 SS Nova, your 69 Chevelles, um, you know, your Chevy Malibus. We're Chevy people. Um, so sorry, all the Ford people out there. <laughs> So um, the difference between American Muscle is cars in the 70s, um, they're different than cars nowadays. Nowadays, cars run off of computer systems. And not to mention, when you open the hood, it's all covered and you can't see anything. Not like my car where I can pop the hood and I can check the oil and I can change it and I can do everything real quick myself. And you know, the, the engines as well, like a, a 396 big block, for instance, my dad's restoring in his 69 SS Chevelle or my 350 in my in my Nova. Um, these are your classic muscle car engines compared to nowadays where you drive a Honda, it's not the same engine. I'm not saying it's not good on gas, you guys, you know, new cars are much better on gas, but um, they're also made of lighter material. You know, these new cars are not as heavy as older cars um, where they're made of 
just solid steel. Like they even used to use like real pencil lead in cars. So like, for instance, if you were to get in a car accident with my car, it's like hitting a brick wall. It's like hitting a sledgehammer compared wow. to new cars. They're like soda cans and a soda can is just going to crush and a sledgehammer is just going to get a little dinged up, a little scratched on the sledgehammer and the soda can's going to crush. So new cars, older cars are a little different and then so are the engines and motors when you work on them as well so um that's why i i know really good stuff when it comes to classic cars um but i have fixed new cars i fixed a water pump in a new car um let's see my wrestling my wrestling school a few years back maybe four years ago uh they were traveling to some wrestling shows all of us and the ring truck broke down first diesel truck big diesel truck and i fixed it wow. um yeah, so I mean, I've, I've fixed like newer cars, newer trucks. It was like a 2006 diesel truck I fixed. So I have fixed like newer motors or cars. Where I can figure things out with the battery or what's going on, a fuse blue. Um, so I know basic car maintenance, but I'm much better um, with classic cars than I am newer engines. Just like I wouldn't know how to work on a European car. So I'm an American muscle girl. See, here's the thing like, I love looking at muscle cars like at car shows or like out in public like when you're just driving around and you just see those cars just how good they look after they've been restored like I love looking yeah. at cars like that but it's just like they're I know they're really expensive to buy because they because so much work goes into you know fixing them it so takes it's just it takes man. money mm -hmm. it does take money to to put into the car um you can find some good classic cars on you know facebook craigslist um but you might put 10 grand into the motor the engine alone um they are fun to look at but they're even more fun to drive i'm sure they are <laughs> <laughs> like that's just really cool to listen to you you know as a woman be able to talk about cars in that way because it's like any other like any time i'd ever heard anyone talking about cars it's like someone like um an older gentleman or mm -hmm. like my boyfriend who loves cars too like he really loves you know the dodge viper and um he really also loves i believe a i believe it's a corvette c7 i'm not i believe that's what yeah, it is. corvettes are fast and then the, the dodge charger and challengers i really liked the new challengers that came out because they kept that classic 70s body style of a muscle car but a newer version yeah so there's only so much i know about cars but it makes me feel happy to know that you um, know you know that you know about them too <laughs> so that's really cool and that's what i really want to do with professional wrestling is i want to incorporate cars and women i want to break the stigma um with women and cars you know i i can be an advanced auto parts commercial just like that guy can i can drive my 73 nova and walk in and go buy oil and change it so um these are achievements and ambitions i have outside of wrestling or in wrestling that when i get with a company um that i can be that brand ambassador that sponsorship girl with the cars and really incorporate breaking the stigma with women and cars inspiring women inspiring little girls and um you know fast and furious supernova oh yes that would be really amazing that actually <laughs> reminds me of that one time i think it was wrestlemania 22 where john cena um did his entrance with that mustang and uh -huh. he was speeding in the road and then all of a sudden you see him crash through the glass and he comes out the car i thought that was one of the coolest things i'd ever seen <laughs> so i can only imagine like if you get signed on somewhere and then in pay-per-view 
they'll think that, oh, it's a guy coming through with that car and then boom, it's you. Oh, oh they're going to know it's Nova. But um, that I would be amazing. Crash, I don't really want to crash my car. Can we use like, a different <laughs> one? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to crash my car. I want to keep it nice. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, it's just just for the shock value. Just uh-huh. <laughs> It was just really cool. But I understand where you're coming from, though. You want to keep it cool and keep it nice and cute. Yeah. Um, so what exactly is so special about your um, 1973 Chevy Nova? Because I've seen pictures of it and it is the cutest, most beautiful car <laughs> I've ever seen. And I love this orange, too. So I love bright colors. Yeah. So um, it's special because uh, a 73, 74 Nova is a pretty rare year and even finding parts for that specific year of a 73 it's really hard to find car parts for it um you didn't see too many out there and then um the reason it's orange just like my wrestling gears orange or i have tire marks and wrenches on my gears because chevy chevy's original motor color was that hot bright orange so i stuck with chevy's original motor color the engine's orange the car's orange my gears orange my hair's orange So, um, yeah, I like to incorporate it all together. And then, I don't know, my name's Amber. So my birth, and then my birthstone is Topaz, which is like a brown orange too. It's November. So it's just like a favorite color. Just like it ended up working together, you know, being the daughter of a mechanic. We like Chevys. I like orange. So I just, I made it my whole gimmick uh, with wrestling, but my gimmick is my character in and out of the ring. Yeah. So basically your character is like what The Rock says. It's like you turned up to like 11. Yep. That's just turn that volume up. Just turn it up. Yeah, that's basically, you know, who it is, but it's a very unique character, you know? So I think I think it's a great way to stand out. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So if so since you have been featured on um, television shows like WWE NXT, which is one of my um, personal favorites, along with um, Impact and AEW, what would you say are some of the coolest experiences that you've had while you've um, been featured on those shows, if you can talk about it? Um, yes. Uh, so my first TV experiences with was with Impact Wrestling. And I was less than two years in the business, but I was trained well and I was given good opportunity and given good shots. and. I did well, so they kept bringing me back to Impact, and I got to wrestle with some veteran women that I learned a lot from, um, you know, Ty Valkyrie, who's now Frankie Monet in Mm -hmm. NXT, Rosemary, Sue Young, um, Sienna, I mean, the list goes on. I learned from Gail Kim. I mean, Impact was a really great experience for me, and then I wrestled at NXT um, versus Nikki Cross. That was my debut match. I wrestled against Io Shirai and Kairi Sane, two of the top women from Japan. And, you know, I got to work with Sarah Del Rey and Serena Deeb. And I did, I did, I learned so much from these women and it was just a whole nother level of production. It was amazing to see the production, the people for the first time. And and then uh, just recently AEW. So, you know, I, I got to learn from so many different styles in the business, just like I talked about my trainers. It was, um, it's been great. It really was. And then my first few years in the business, I got to really just see everything quickly. Okay. So if given the opportunity, would you love to sign with either one of those companies? Yes. So what I'm doing is, um, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me, uh, to go out there, do international travel, which I was doing before the pandemic, and then just keep building my brand and be everywhere as much as you can. Just go everywhere out of state, all the, you know, try to be as many companies you can be at. And then um, eventually it'll come time to be signed. So um, I am definitely open 
open to the idea of signing with a company and hopefully that would be you know coming soon but i'm doing i'm doing really good you know like i said i'm, I'm gonna be wrestling in new york texas i'm going out of state again and um, probably see me again at aw so um you know maybe that'll come a time when i uh finally sign and, and settle down with a company yeah i actually had the opportunity to watch some of your matches and i'm really excited for you in your future because it's just Thank you. yeah there were a couple of moves of course you know that you were doing that of course are also classic moves that a lot of people you know tend to do but you were very clean in your approach in terms of wrestling and i also loved um your head scissors um <laughs> that move where you do the, the tune-up yeah the tune-up i love that one the head scissors turnbuckle smash the tune-up yeah. Yeah, Thank that you. was really cool. Like I enjoyed watching you wrestle and I believe the one match I watched you in it was against Maddie um Renowski and Renkowski, yes. Renkowski, and that was yes. I apologize. Pro. No, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just apologizing just in case she watches this and then I and, <laughs> and I butchered her wrong? last name. Yeah. <laughs> she might have to come in and give a reality check. Yes. Um, and then I also saw your um, tag team match that you had where you tagged with Queen Aminata and you guys um, faced, I believe it was Red Velvet and Big Swole. Yes. Yes. So I was really impressed with that. And I was just like, man, I want to see her again. So that was really Thank cool. you. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, definitely. So who has been your favorite opponent to face so far? Oh, wow. Favorite opponent. Well, I named off a lot of women like I just did in Impact. Um, it was, you know, Ty Valkyrie, um, Sienna, Sue Young, Rosemary. There was, you know, Nikki Cross, the two top women from Japan, Io Shirai, Kairi Sane. Um, I've gotten to wrestle some pretty great women. Um, and that's just to name a few. Uh, but um I, I want to say that I still have a bucket list, still checking them off. But yeah, I guess to name a few would be the few that I named already. Mm -hmm. so um, Maddie, that was a great match. I have it, Maddie, that you just just told me about that you watched. Yeah. Okay, so do you have a dream opponent of someone you haven't faced just yet? Um. Yeah. So you know, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, which I love Sasha's style because we're so similar in size, and I feel like we do a lot of similar technique. Um, so Sasha, Charlotte, of course, um, the queen. <laughs> yes. I know I could learn a lot from them. Um, I could, I know I could learn a lot from Bailey. Um, a few women that I haven't wrestled yet, like Tessa Blanchard, I've never wrestled. So there's a lot of women, like even on the indies. Okay. Well, that seems like a good list to sort of have and sort of start with. And I'm pretty sure, you know, once you do get the opportunity to face them, it'll still be really good. So I'm looking sure. forward to what you have going on. Thank so what you. would you say is your opinion of the state of women's wrestling in terms of the independent scene and sort of the mainstream scene as well um, in terms of what is good and what could be improved upon? Um, so the women's independent scene has grown immense, like just enormously like in the last few years especially since um i moved uh to orlando in 2015 had my first match in 2016 so about five six years now in the business and it's evolved so much there's so many more women than there used to be so there's so much more opportunity um i will say that i feel like there are some shows out there that could really benefit from having veteran women in the locker rooms helping 
agent these women in their matches, um, being there for them, coaching them. And then I will say some of these indie shows with women that, you know, some girls, they'll throw on shows maybe too soon that might require more training for safety and um, just showmanship before throwing them on a show. Maybe they need a little bit more training. And I've noticed that with indies too, that I know it's just so um, oversaturated at times that they'll just throw people on shows to get some experience. But sometimes people are really hungry, young and eager. And they don't realize that sometimes it's better to have quantity over quality. So when I first started wrestling, I didn't want like 30 YouTube matches out there of me. I wanted like three really good ones instead of 30 of them that weren't that good. So I really just focused on my training and having that mindset of quantity over quality. And that's how I'd build my brand. And then eventually people would see my technique and they'd see my work that I put in and that would get you farther in the long run. So I think that would help if people um, had that mindset, mindset and they can benefit from that. Okay. So who are, or who were, I should, I should also say, um, well, you actually mentioned that in terms of your inspiration, you sort of cited the four horsewomen, you know, sort of as an inspiration for you getting started in your wrestling career. But do you have any other ones outside of that, you know, four core group of women that you saw for inspiration? Yes. Um, you know, I, I grew up watching wrestling. I grew up watching um, Victoria, um, Lita, Trish, uh, Medusa, uh, Luna Vachon, you know, Stephanie McMahon. Like, I know she didn't wrestle that much, but still, like, these women on TV, they were really inspiring with their characters and and in and out of the ring, China. Like, um, just so growing up, um, you know, I really... I've, I really, you know, took um, a big liking to AJ Lee because of our similar size. And I was like, oh, wow, you don't have to be that big to be a wrestler. And that really inspired me as well. Um, just like, you know, me with cars, it's like, wow, there's a woman that's passionate about cars and can do things with cars. Um, that's really, you know, intriguing. So it's the same thing to see like a smaller woman be able to wrestle was very inspiring. Yeah, I imagine so. It's like you have a plethora of people you can always look to and sort of see as an inspiration in terms of your wrestling career. So it's just, you know, all of those names are just so very solid, you know, in who you mentioned. So that's really good. So who are your top five wrestlers that you would say um, that are male, female or non-binary? Oh, I don't know if I could put them in order, but, you know, like I I named a bunch of women just now. So I'll name some men. Um, I grew up watching Eddie Guerrero, uh, mm-hmm. Goldberg, Sting. Um, oh, geez, you know, uh, I grew up watching, um, you know, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Ricky Steamboat, mm-hmm. uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so his like two by four is like my wrench. You know, the whole I'm an American. Hey, you got the two by four. I got my wrench. So I just named some women. There's some guys for you. I, I wouldn't even know where to put them in order. Um, but yeah. It's okay, because when people ask me that question, I can't put it in order either, and sometimes it just depends on the day. Like, my (laughs) top five can change with the men and the women, depending on how I feel. All I know is just that maybe my number ones are constant, but two, three, four, and five can flip and change 
regardless of how I'm feeling. So, so who's your number one? Well, for the women, my number one is Sasha Banks. Like I've said right. multiple times on this show that I feel like Sasha Banks is the greatest of all time. <laughs> like yep. just that she's just, you just can't beat her. She has all the charisma, all of the style, you know, and all of the training. And I just respect how she continues to learn the craft, you know, even, even as she's become a star. You know, it's because some people have a tendency to sort of stay in one, you know, stay, you know, the way that they are, you know, and just stick right. with what brought them there. But she constantly learns all the time. She's a student. And that's what I love about her the most. And because I'm a student and that makes me feel happy. Um, and then my top person, I believe, for the men is The Rock, because he was just always um, my favorite um, growing up. He was just, he was always the one who would always make me laugh or, um, but as oh, a- Oh, he's got a charisma like no other. And he can yes. just talk all day, talk all day. Yes, I just love him so much. So he's definitely my number one in terms of the men. So that's pretty much it for me. But two, three, four, and five, it, it'll change. <laughs> so what do you believe the future holds for you, Miss Amber Nova? Oh, the future holds, um, Supernova is just shifting gears and getting started, you guys. Um, I believe the future holds me signing to a TV company that has not yet happened. Um, I believe I will incorporate classic cars and wrestling. I will be seen in some type of auto parts commercial, mark my words. And I will inspire um, you know, people to break that stigma with women in cars and really make a difference. Well, that sounds incredibly promising. And I can't wait to see you in a commercial so I can be like, oh, I know her. Because <laughs> uh -huh. that's how I do for a certain actors anyway. Like sometimes I watch television so hard and then I recognize faces. So if I recognize you in like an AutoZone commercial or something, like that, oh, I know her. And then that'll be cool. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> and then if I see you in wrestling too, it'll be even greater to say, oh, I know her too. So uh -huh. that would be wonderful. Good. Well, Thank you so much, Amber, for coming Thank on you. the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. So if you could just take this time to tell people where they can follow you and find you on social media and stuff and tell them what you got going on, then feel free to do so now. Absolutely. So to everyone out there that's not familiar with me, my name is Amber Nova, and you can follow me on Amber Nova 73 is all my social media platforms, 73, hence 73 Nova. You can YouTube my matches at NXT, AEW, Impact, also on YouTube. If you want to get geared up with me and you want to get autographed photos, posters, t-shirts, my t-shirts are on prowrestlingtees.com slash ambernova, or I'll be having my own personal shirts coming to me soon that I can autograph and then mail out to you. Um, to get geared up with me, just send me a DM to my social media. Uh, Instagram is always the best way, and you can get autographed photos, grease rags. Um, I usually have hats, t-shirts. So yeah, get geared up with me and thanks for your support. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, so now we're going to do a recap of Monday Night Raw. And I know it's been a while since I've done a weekly recap, but we're going to go into it the way I regularly would go into it and talk about what's happening with the women first. So, um, 
Notably absent from this episode was Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, um, even though they had started some rumblings and some stuff with the women's tag team champions, Natty and Tamina, but we're going to go in more into them on the SmackDown side. So we had a basically an eight woman tag match between Nikki Ash, um, Alexa Bliss, Naomi and Asuka, and they teamed up against Nia Jax, Shanna Baszler, Eva Marie, and Piper Niven, aka Dewdrop. And this match was pretty, you know, good, even though it kind of devolved into a series of various moves where everyone kind of took each other out. And Alexa Bliss wound up being the last woman standing after she scared Eva Marie out of the ring. And this was where I kind of started to wonder what Eva Marie's purpose was, because she really wasn't doing a whole lot in the match, you know, and even when she was trying to do something, it was always after the work of another partner. And then there was a point where she even tried to like, I think there was a point where she was trying to capitalize off of the work of Dewdrop after she knocked out Naomi and stuff. And then um, Dewdrop also threw around Nikki um, like a rag doll, and then she brought in Nia Jax, and they crushed Oscar between them by running into, by running into her at the same time, which made me wonder. How is it that no one's ever thought about Piper Niven or just yet? How is it no one's thought about Piper Niven um, being in a tag team with Nia Jax? Because I think that would be, you know, a pretty dominating, um, a pretty dominating tag team there. But, you know, let's just, you know, let's not worry about that now. Um, And then um, Shayna Baszler broke Alexa Bliss's trance on Reggie because she was putting a spell on him. Um, and then she threw her into the barricade and the match came to an end when Nia Jax hit Nikki with a Samoan drop for the pin. So, um, the heel team won here. So it really wasn't that much, um, to really address here. It seems like this was, you know, more of a non of, of a match that wasn't, it didn't have any major consequences tied to it here, but you know, it's whatever. And then also on the women's side of Raw, you had Rhea Ripley, the Raw Women's Champion, getting into the face of Charlotte Flair, who came out to give us quasi-medical update because she got chopped in her leg um, last week in a match with Rhea Ripley. Um, and then she was Charlotte was coming out there and basically talking about, you know, how she couldn't perform, you know, to the best of her ability. And she was basically faking. And then... Rhea Ripley came out there insulting her with a crutch as well and so she hobbled out to the ring and then hilariously enough also still did the stomp that she does in her entrance (laughs) while on the crutch and then she came to the ring and then her and Charlotte had a war of words until they both finally you know stopped faking their injuries and started trying to beat each other um with their crutches you know like they were you know Jedis and um un in Star Wars trying to fight each other but you know it's not that I'm not interested in them fighting it's just I'm just really ready for them to really take it to the next level in this feud I feel like there should be a whole lot more with them that we're just not getting from them just yet so I'm gonna hold out hope that they're gonna continue to explore new territory and how much they hate each other so, because personally, I felt like with this last um, pay-per-view that passed, um, which was Hell in a Cell, even though I was happy that Bailey and um, Bianca Belair had their Hell in a Cell match, I really thought it should have been Rhea versus Charlotte in that Hell in a Cell match because that just really would have been a spectacle to see. But, you know, they decided against that. So, I don't... That's really... 
that's really all that kind of happened with the women um, in terms of Raw. So in terms of the men, the show started with Miz TV with, of course, the Miz and Jomo, John Morrison. Um, and they were talking about um, and the Miz was basically putting over Johnny um, saying that he was going to win the Money in the Bank briefcase because he qualified for the match on the Raw side. And then Drew McIntyre came out and told a whole story about being related to Davy Crockett. And this was also weird because throughout the um, entirety of Raw, he would come out and tell these really weird stories that wouldn't have anything to do with anything. Even though I know he's a face and yeah, he's a Scottish warrior and stuff like that. It's just kind of like, it really doesn't resonate for some reason. And it's just kind of, and I was sitting there just sort of looking at him like, I was kind of bored and that makes me sad to say, but it really did not miss. It didn't really hit the mark there with his stories. And I'm really hoping that somewhere down the line, like even though he's in the money in the bank match, I don't want him to win. <laughs> like I really do not want him to win the money in the bank uh, match, even though he's in it with so many different people. Like this is going to be probably one of the best money in the bank matches that we're going to have um, on the men's side. So I'm really hoping that he does not win because I'm really pushing for Big E to win it. So I mean, it's whatever at this point, but those stories just really didn't do it. Then Ricochet, um, came up and then the Miz you know basically got in his face for taking such a big risk in his match with John Morrison where he jumped from the top rope onto John Morrison behind the barricade and into the Thunderdome audience and then Matt Riddle rode his scooter to the ring while his ankle he had his ankle wrapped up due to the injury that he suffered last week and he said that he was going to win money in a bank and dedicated to Randy Orton who has mysteriously somehow disappeared in a weird way um, but that's his homeboy. Then AJ Styles and Omos, the Raw Tag Team Champions, in case you may have forgotten that, um, came down. And then they started complaining about how the former wasn't pinned in the triple threat match last week, which should entitle him to a spot in the Money in the Bank match. But then Omos tipped over the ladder to send Riddle crashing into the mat on his bad leg. And Styles continued to... Um, to continue to target Matt Riddle's ankle while Ricochet and Morrison got into a fight with each other. And then this led to um, Ricochet and John Morrison having another match. And this match was really, really good because the both of them sort of have um, really great lucha knowledge, you know, on their behalf. Like they're really good in terms of how they move like cruiserweights, even though they have the bodies of heavyweights and stuff. So this match was pretty good. The pace picked up and they started using the ropes to their advantage. And then John Morrison power bombed Ricochet into the barricade as the show went to a commercial. And then as it came back, John Morrison was hit, hit a standing Spanish fly, um, which was really cool. And then John Morrison took Ricochet out of ringside and the Miz tried to keep him basically, um, kept him out of the ring. So John Morrison could win via count out. So this might mean that Ricochet and John Morrison might fight each other again at the go home raw, um, before money in the bank, but either way, the match was solid. I just hated the ending of it. So then we had um, Mustafa Ali versus Mansoor. They have had multiple interactions backstage, which you could also 
you know, it it's almost like they're teasing an alliance between the two because you can see Mustafa sort of telling him, you know, I'm just doing this to you and antagonizing you so you won't end up like me. And it's just like Mansoor is clearly um, intrigued by that. But at the same time, they're also fighting each other because, you know, Mansoor is mad and he just sort of wants to wonder why are you messing with me? And so he's tired of it. So this match was pretty technical for the first few minutes um, with a series of takedowns and counters. And then Mansoor got angry and he started utilizing strikes to keep the upper hand in the match. Um, Mustafa got his foot caught in the ropes and Mansoor helped the referee get it free. And then he checked on Ali because he was being, you know, an, a, a sportsman-like gentleman and competitor. But then he ended up getting pinned with a roll-up. And so Ali quickly revealed that his leg was fine as he celebrated his win. So as good as it is that Mustafa got this, you know, heart this win even though it was kind of like a sneaky win um it's good that he got this win but I'm just interested in seeing where else can this story with Mansoor go will they hook up and be a tag team at some point or will they turn on each other like who knows where this could go but I'm just interested to see what's happening um then we had Jinder Mahal versus Drew McIntyre um former 3MB brothers and something cool that happened um, earlier before this match, Jinder Mahal came out and when he was backstage, he entered backstage on a motorcycle. And all I could think about was um, the biker taker and the song, you know, I'm like, I'm the American badass, except I was like, I am the Indian badass. So that's what happened. And it was just really cool how that happened. Um, and it made me sad that Heath Slater wasn't there, you know, but... Veer and Shanky was, you know, by Jinder Mahal's side with that because they have a little alliance going on there. Um, they locked up and fought for control. Then Jinder Mahal, um, not Jinder Mahal, but Drew locked Jinder Mahal down with a shoulder, knocked him down with a shoulder tackle to establish his dominance. Then Jinder Mahal jabbed um, Drew McIntyre in the throat and suplexed him onto the announcer table as then went to commercial. Then they came back from commercial and saw Jinder Mahal still controlling the pace. Then Drew spiked him with a future shot DDT before setting up the Claymore. But then um, Veer and Shanky, Jinder Mahal's um, accomplices, got involved in a match before he could execute the move and then caused a DQ. And Jinder Mahal ran away and stole Drew McIntyre's family heirloom sword to end the segment and this is a way to kind of get in drew mcintyre's head here because that's a family heirloom you don't just steal family heirlooms that's like walking in my house and stealing the mirror that my great grandma had you just don't do that like <laughs> like you just don't do stuff like that it's rude and that sword has sort of been you know that sword and the kilt thing going on with Drew McIntyre gave him a huge shot in the arm with being the um, Scottish warrior that we know him as now. So him stealing the sword was kind of a big deal to me because I'm just like, no, that's rude. You don't do that. Um, but also, I'm glad to see Jinder Mahal back on television because he really is a former WWE champion. And a lot of people in the wrestling fandom have a tendency to undermine that simply because of the fact that once upon a time, he was a jobber. Okay, he was a jobber. And he got his, he got released and he came back, you know, gained the weight and become and became, you know, a major heavyweight, you know, and did what he had to do to become a qualifier for the championship. And he wanted fair and square even though he was a heel so I don't understand why is it in the you know 
in the whole roster of WWE champions, we look down on him. It's not fair. Like, I really wish we would stop doing that as a fandom. Like, it happened, and it was cool for however long it lasted. So, it was different. So, I mean, he was, a, he was like a man of Indian descent who won that championship. Like, we should, like, I feel like that should be respected a little bit more than it is. Um, and him having a feud with Drew McIntyre, who basically did the same thing when they were all once upon a time jobbers in 3MB, you know, just over 10 years ago, is just you know, amazing in and of itself. So this feud is going to be interesting going forward. That is, if Drew McIntyre doesn't win the Money in the Bank briefcase, the Money in the Bank briefcase, he doesn't, you know, he has this feud to go back to with his former buddy. So I'm interested in that. Then we had um, Lucha House Bar Party versus Mace and T-Bar, who I hadn't seen in a while. Um, Because it's like, they separated them from retribution and now they're just a tag team of big built body dudes from nxt who are just a tag team but yet somehow or another never you know go for the tag team titles again i don't know why but this was a pretty short match um mace and lince dorado you know started in the ring for their teams dorado tried to use his speed to take um control early but mace's power um prevented him from getting the advantage um mace then caught him in midair and threw him over the top rope t-bar um continued the assault by slamming lince dorado's head into the announce table um mace came back in to deliver a big boot for a really close two count and it looked like um mace and t-bar had the win but lince dorado scored the win with a victory roll up out of nowhere with some help from grand metalik so yeah I don't want to call that really a throwaway, but it's not really like a match that had that much implication behind it. But I'm glad Lucha House Party got that win. And shout out to Lince Dorado, who helped train my guest um, on this episode, Amber Nova, as well in her wrestling journey, too. So then we had Matt Riddle versus AJ Styles. So this surprised me because Matt Riddle was going to still try and fight with his injured ankle especially after AJ and um, Omos attacked him um, earlier in the night, but they went ahead and, and did it. So as the match started, um, AJ Styles set his sights on Riddle's ankle because, of course, that's just an age-old tactic that people use um, to wear down their opponents. And then um, Matt Riddle stood on one foot like um, Daniel LaRusso from the Karate Kid and hit a crane kick on AJ Styles, you know, after he was mocking him for trying to be the Karate Kid, which goes to show you bullies never prosper. Like they really don't. If the Karate Kid didn't teach you that, then this match kind of taught you that too. Like shut up. Don't bully people because eventually they will kick you in the face. Either way, <laughs> um, they came back from commercial break after that. And then Omos tripped Riddle to give Styles an assist, of course. Then Matt Riddle hit a huge knee to the face um, to give himself a bit of a breather. And then he began to build some momentum while still favoring his injured right foot. And then he missed a moonsault and landed on the leg. Um, that's really bad. And then AJ Styles hit him with a modified fireman's carry slam for a near fall. But then the assist came from the Viking Raiders, who are going for the Raw Tag Team titles again after they've both you know, come back from their injuries and stuff. They appeared at ringside and it caused a distraction for Riddle to roll up AJ Styles for the win. 
So Matt Riddle won this match, you know, with the assist from the Viking Raiders, and that was good. And he kept dedicating it to Randy and pointing up to the sky as if Randy Orton's dead. And I thought that was weird because I'm just like, bro, Randy Orton is not the dead homie. Stop it. <laughs> also, I think it's funny when Matt Riddle made a high joke while he was on the ladder um, earlier in the night, too, because he just has to perpetually make weed jokes. It's just really funny. And some of them I catch and other ones I don't because I really didn't do that. I didn't part. I don't partake in getting high. But if you do, that's great. But I just never did. So sometimes the high jokes kind of go over my head. Forgive me. I'm a clown. Either way. <laughs> then we had this other match, which kind of disappointed me with Elias and Cedric Alexander tag teaming against Jackson Riker and R-Truth. And given the past history that Jackson Riker has had with African-American lingo and wrestlers. It just kind of weirds me out whenever he's put in these situations. Um, and But him, Jackson, is feuding with Elias. And I kind of just wish they would just keep it between him and Elias as opposed to just bringing in outside people. Um, Cedric just deserves a little bit better than this. He's a former Cruiserweight champion. He was part of the Hurt Business. And I really feel like them breaking up the Hurt Business did no favors for Shelton and Cedric. And to see Cedric sort of take the pin from Jackson Riker was just hurtful for me to watch. So, and then R-Truth had a whole lot of 24-7 title shenanigans go on in the match too. So there's really not that much to talk about there. But Raw ended with the New Day, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods versus the Hurt Business. So the final match, um, this was a tag team match, of course. And after spending months on the shelf with a supposed leg injury, MVP returned to action. Because y'all know he's been walking around with that pimp cane, but he finally came off of it, you know, to fight. So Xavier Woods and MVP kicked off the action with an exchange of holds and counters. MVP shoved um, Xavier Woods to the mat and then talked some trash to him, of course. And then Woods retaliated with a chop block to the same knee that MVP injured several months ago. Then um, when Kofi Kingston and Lashley tagged in, of course, Bobby Lashley took over. And then he cornered Kofi Kingston and unloaded on him with big right hands and shoulder thrusts to the body. Then MVP fell victim to the unicorn stampede in a corner before they cut to a break. Then we came back from the commercial break to see Bobby Lashley run over Xavier Woods like a steamroller. And it took a few minutes for Xavier, you know, to make a desperate tag to Kofi Kingston. Then Kingston took out both opponents with a few of his signature moves before MVP took him down for a two count. Then Kofi Kingston, in it, which was a surprise move for me, but it made me happy, was Kingston countered the playmaker and hit Trouble in Paradise on MVP for the win. So now Kofi Kingston has a lot of momentum going forward into his match at Money in the Bank against um, Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship. And let me just say that I am so happy that Kofi Kingston is getting another opportunity at the WWE Championship because he should not have been able to, he should not have waited this long to get another opportunity for the title, but at least he's getting another one, you know, either way. And the fact that Kofi actually got a victory over MVP, who is one of the unsung heroes of SmackDown in the 2000s, and just one of the all-around best producers and best um, managers that WWE has been able to develop in the last few years, just says something about Kofi Kingston's standing in terms of um, his GOAT territory. He's definitely in GOAT territory. He's a Grand Slam champion. 
He's all of these amazing things, and he just pinned MVP. Plus, it was just all sorts of black excellence going on in this match. So I'm really happy with that. And I'm still wondering how Xavier Woods is going to play into this. Like, I don't want to believe that Xavier is going to break up you know, is going to break up the new day, you know, and turn heel on him or whatever, because he said he doesn't ever want to do that. But it's just that they just keep underestimating Xavier so much. And it's so wrong because he's such a good wrestler, you know, and he's and there's so much more that he could be doing. And I want to see him go for a singles title at some point. Um, so that's pretty much all that happened on Raw. And now we're going to recap NXT's Great American Bash. Right, so now we're gonna recap NXT's Great American Bash that happened this past Tuesday. Um, it was really good for the most part. Um, there's a lot of stuff that took place within those two hours, but it was still really good and solid. So we're gonna start with the women. Um, so in terms of the women, we had an NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match, which which involved The Way and Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell versus Io Shirai and Zoe Stark. So um, early in this match, Indy Hartwell dumped Zoe Stark to the floor. Stark had to fight through to eventually get the tag to Io, who found herself face to face with Candice LeRae, who had so much crap to be talking about her, you know, um, before she was able to make her return and then EO caught um Candice LeRae with a tiger kick and a springboard drop kick then Candice LeRae responded by trapping EO Shirai in the Gargano escape and then Indy Hartwell stopped Stark from interfering with Dexter Loomis's silence but then um EO Shirai um rolled through to safety and let me just say here that I love how the the whole um the continuity of the storyline involving Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis, which of course had, you know, with her, with her using his move, which I think it's really cute. I think they belong together. Um, but then the lights went out as um, the recent battery vignette, you know, reached full 100% that we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks. And then it was revealed at the top of the ramp that it was Tegan Knox who was doing all the charging and now she's returned. And then she distracted Candace LeRae because she was the one who I believe took her out a couple um, months ago. So she started mess with Candace LeRae, which allowed her to get distracted, which allowed Zoe Stark to take out Andy Hartwell with the knee for the win. So now your new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions are Io Shirai and Zoe Stark. And congratulations to Zoe because she was she came up in one of the more recent classes for the Performance Center and now she's a champion. Woohoo! And Io Shirai has another title. So woohoo! That's great. Um I know a lot of people on social media were talking a little bit of mess about the fact that they've had so many champions, you know, so many tag team champions at a time, um, within a few months time or whatever, but at the same time, I'm not going to be, you know, the type of person to rain on people's parade. So that was great. I'm happy for them. And then Tegan Knox sent Candice LeRae running away. And then Dexter Loomis came out and picked up Indy Hartwell and walked off with her. So I'm hoping that their relationship can have some type of reconciliation because I think they're cute and I need that to happen. So yeah. <laughs> also with the women, I guess you could say, um, Tony Storm was talking a whole lot of trash 
um, at Sarai for having, you know, for asking for a match from William Regal. But then also, weirdly enough, you know, after she was talking all that trash and trying to set up a match for her next week, she was announced as one of the people who are coming to SmackDown really soon. Um, so, yeah, they're doing call-ups, so it's cool. Um, so then we also, with the women, you had B-Fab, of course, with the cypher involving Hit Row. So they decided to celebrate um, Isaiah Swerve Scott North American title win with a cypher, which is in rap where you basically have a group of rappers get together rep where they're from and basically just rap about any number of things just like if you've ever seen the BET hip-hop awards that's kind of what it is it's not a battle it's a cypher so it was really cool I liked it I know a lot of people you know I guess who are more up on rap you know who are more rap scholars than I am didn't like it and thought it was whack and then um my brothers and sister um on the Jobber Tears podcast said that they didn't necessarily um that the hit row didn't necessarily hit for them um but I just know as far as I'm concerned I actually like hit row and I feel like they um they're pretty convincing as heels they're like those to me they just represent those um I guess from my experience they represent, you know, these like these tough people or like these really the really hood clique that you really just don't want to mess with. Um, in high school, that's just what they represent to me, and they're just too cool for school. And I actually like them. Like so, I enjoyed Decipher. Um, of course, you know, to me, they were rapping about you know where they were from and what they represent and all this other stuff and how you just don't need to mess with me and all this different stuff. So I actually enjoyed it, even though I don't really remember all of what was said in the um, raps, but I still enjoyed it. So, and I was also impressed with the idea that B-Fab has on those high platform heels and yet can drop it low, you know, multiple times, like nobody's business. And she's just stunning. Like there's just something about her. And I personally want to see Hit Row, you know, sort of want to, I want to see them dominate the same way the Undisputed Era was allowed to dominate um, as a faction. So... If that means that Ashanti the Adonis and Top Dollar gets to go for the tag titles at some point, and then maybe B-Fab can wrestle, you know, and she can go for um, the title, even though it's held by Raquel Gonzalez at this point, then fine. Like, I don't care. I just want to see them dominate. So then they rap together. Um, they rap their theme song together afterward, and that was it. So it was really simple. Um... It was really simple and it went relatively long, but it was still really cool though. So, and on, on Twitter, I tweeted that I wanted a rap battle between them, the Usos, the New Day, um, and the Street Profits, like make it happen, like book it because I feel like that would just be fire. And of course you can have Wale come and moderate it the same way he did, you know, for, for that July 4th Smackdown when the Usos basically ethered, um, Xavier Woods but we're not gonna get into that right now <laughs> so yeah I thought that was cool so the show began with a um to go to the men the show began with MSK the NXT tag team champions versus Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher and it seemed like it was really weird for me because it seemed like 
Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher were going into this saying, acting like they were just going to run all over MSK because they were the more experienced team. And that made me mad because if it's one thing I can't stand is when you undermine somebody due to your longevity or their lack of experience. Like just because they haven't been there as long as you have and they're not grizzled and jaded does not mean that they don't have the skill set and the ability to kick your butt. So that just kept irritating me. Like they were acting like, you know, oh, we're just going to run through them because it's going to be easy. Blah, blah, blah. I'm Tommaso. He's Thatcher. Okay, whatever. Either way, um, early in the match, I'm not going to hold you. Tommaso and Timothy Thatcher did have the advantage over MSK. Um, it was a dissection early on, especially with Timothy Thatcher, you know, sort of wearing them down with his more, um, hard knocks, grizzled style. Um, and then when Tommaso Ciampa got involved, he physically embarrassed Nash Carter, but then Nash Carter and Wesley slowly regained some energy and they were getting really physical and intense with the challengers with their high flying style. Then Wesley kicked out of a powerbomb backbreaker from Ciampa and then they began to build momentum yet again. Then the team, and then they teamed up on um, the Blackheart and then hitting, and they hit a senton bomb and a corkscrew senton for a near fall. Then Tommaso Ciampa responded with the fairy tale ending and then Toothless Timmy locked in an ankle lock. And then Ciampa tried to stop um, Carter from interfering, but was knocked into Thatcher um, as a mistake. And which this set up Wesley for an inside cradle um, for the three count to survive their veteran challengers. So they retained their, their, um, title. Um, this match was really good, but something that I found a little bit irritating was the fact that it felt like the audience wasn't as into it. And it seemed like that they really were booing MSK. And I'm sitting here like, so is this kind of like the Rocky Maivia treatment where the fans are just turning on them for being cool baby faces or being chill baby faces and now you're going to make them turn bad? Like, is this going to be this type of situation? Because this isn't the first time they got booed and I don't understand what's wrong with MSK and why they would get booed. They're amazing. Like, I, I, they were my favorite to win the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Cup. You know, and I was happy when they won a title. So I don't understand why anybody would hate them or, you know, crap on them. But they're still the the champions. And Ciampa and Thatcher might just need to chill out and sit down and not just think they could just run through folks just because they owe. Um, Stop. That's not cute. Also, um, we had Karrion Cross and Johnny Gargano, you know, going face to face with each other, not in a match. But they basically, you know, challenged each other to a championship match next next week on NXT. Um, William Regal, the general manager, and Samoa Joe, the enforcer, stood in the middle of the ring to make sure Karrion and Johnny Gargano did not get physical with one another because that's always that always works, right? Then, <laughs> once they arrived, um, Regal announced that Cross versus Gargano for the NXT championship would happen next week with Samoa Joe as a special guest referee. And I'm here for that because more Samoa Joe is just good for you. It's good for the skin. Um, then you had this, even though William Regal kept giving warnings to them, Johnny Gargano continued to taunt the NXT champion and basically call him overrated and said that he can't wrestle, which is so inaccurate. Like I can't stand it when people talk trash. I, I don't know if this is the popular thing to do now, 
But Karrion Cross, when he debuted, he was a monster to me. And I don't understand how is it that everybody just feels like he's overrated just because he has all this pizzazz with his entrance, which I think is cool and reminiscent of the 2000s. And well, and reminiscent of the 90s and the 2000s and he has Scarlet of course his you know love you know who's out there with him and everything like that and he's just he's scary like he's just a scary monster heavyweight titan wrestler and I just can't I just can't get with the unnecessary hate for him like he's a really good wrestler and he should be champion so I just don't understand the hate that he gets so I don't know um so yeah, that's going to happen next week. And I'm pretty excited about that. Then we have the million dollar championship match between LA Knight and Cameron Grimes. And this match was really good. I feel like in this match, Cameron Grimes showed more of what he can do as a wrestler. Because even though he has a really silly character, he really can't go in the ring. And he's, and I believe this feud is really, you know, instrumental in showing all all the abilities that he has like he's really great um in their first match with each other I really felt like he was really close to winning but he didn't and it was sad um so Cameron Grimes um clotheslined LA Knight out of the ring and then after a crossbody um Cameron Grimes almost picked up a quick victory but then the two went back and forth where LA Knight had to keep trying to slow Grimes down to stay in the fight because Cameron Grimes just had the advantage over him almost the entire time. It's, it's, it's almost like he was low-key out-wrestling L.A. Knight. I don't know if that's the popular thing to say now, but I really feel like he was low-key out-wrestling him. Or whatever. Then Cameron Grimes kicked out of a fireman's carry slam and superplexed to stay in the fight, causing L.A. Knight to grow angry and grab the million-dollar championship. The referee stopped it, and the chaos that followed led to... Um, the technical savage hitting a poison rana for a near fall. Then LA Knight planted Grimes outside with a DDT on the championship outside of the referee's vision, nearly getting a count out win, which gave me a heart attack because I'm just like, dang, the ref didn't see it, and I just got mad. And then when the te- and then when he got back into the ring, he stumbled into the BFT, which put him away, and LA Knight retained the million dollar championship. And now Cameron Grimes has to be L.A. Knight's personal butler. This irritated me because I'm just like, no, (laughs) like, no. I mean, I get it makes sense for a heel to be the million dollar champion, but come on. Like, I don't want to see Cameron Grimes be a butler. That's lame. I just don't want to see that. It's just lame to me. So that happened. Then you had um, Kyle versus a- Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole too, which ended um, the Great American Bash, and it felt like the audience didn't necessarily appreciate this match either for what it was, but it was still really good, you know, from a television audience standpoint. Adam Cole um, was nursing a left knee injury from last week that forced him to start pretty slow, but then he matches Kyle O'Reilly. When his rival began to lay in shots. And then once Kyle O'Reilly hit hard. Adam Cole kept hitting harder. And he planted him with a backstabber for a near fall. Then Adam Cole taunted Kyle O'Reilly. And mentioned Kyle O'Reilly's wife. Which is the worst thing you can ever do. He called his wife stupid. And I was just like. Adam are you trying to die? I guess he is. Um, (laughs) So this set up Kyle. Who got too aggressive with him. And then Cole bashed his left knee 
hard into the steel post. And then they were both left hobbling, but then Cole and Kyler Riley found every opening to do more damage with each other, punching each other, kicking each other with what they had left. It was crazy. Then Kyler Riley finally managed to lock in the knee bar, forcing Adam Cole to crawl in pain towards the ropes. Then outside of the ring, Cole hit an emphatic Panama sunrise, but it wasn't enough to keep, you know, Kyler Riley down. And then he dodged the diving knee and then hit the last shot for a shocking near fall. Then Kyle O'Reilly blocked the Panama Sunrise with his bad knee. And then the pain to Kyle O'Reilly's knee was worse than it was, was for Cole, who managed to hit another Panama Sunrise and another last shot to win this match. So Kyle O'Reilly got the first win. Adam Cole got the second win. So it might be safe to assume that maybe they're going to fight one more time. Um, I don't know when it's going to be. But it's probably safe to assume they're going to fight one more time to try to get it over with, you know, and make it a trilogy type thing. So either way, I'm looking forward to see them fight, fight each other again. But I just want personally, while they're in the business of call ups, I just want Adam Cole to get called up to either Raw or SmackDown, preferably SmackDown, because I think that would be more interesting and more concise for him. But at the same time, if he doesn't want to leave NXT just yet, he doesn't have to. But I just want Adam Cole to become a main roster star. So I'm kind of waiting for this Kyle O'Reilly thing to kind of just end because I just want Adam Cole to just be a star, but we'll see what happens. So that's all that happened um, with NXT. And now we're going to recap SmackDown. All right. And for the last weekly recap, we're going to talk about SmackDown. Now, Last week, I was excited with the idea that Zelina Vega made her debut and came back to WWE. That's my girl. I'm so happy she came back, but I was out of town. So I saw that on social media and freaked out. She didn't show up on this week's SmackDown, which kind of made me sad, but it's okay. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm just glad she's back. Praise the Lord. She can follow her dreams. She can do this. Yes. So I'm glad she's back and she's in the women's money in the bank match. So that's my little spiel on um, Zelina Vega and her returning to WWE. So involving the women on SmackDown, a lot of cool things happened, um, which breeded from a little bit of tragedy in the sense that Bailey um, tore her ACL and got injured and she's going to, she's scheduled to be out for nine months and that's a really tough injury to come back from because that was an injury I believe that um that was an injury that I believe Triple H had at one point you know in the 2000 like in the early 2000s and he had to come down here to Birmingham for surgery and um and um he basically did make his you know triumphant return and stuff like that but that's a really tough injury to go through and it happened while she was in training for her money in the bank match against Bianca Belair for the Smackdown Women's Championship which would have been an I quit match but she um actually put out a statement and a promo talking about you know how angry she was about it and how it's everybody else's fault except hers but you know that's the Bailey thing to do and we wish her a speedy recovery you know, outside of kayfabe, we love you, girl, we want you to come back, and, um, be crazy like you always are, and troll Michael Cole, and all of that stuff, so, in the midst of that, Sonya Deville announced that the person who was going to take, um, Bailey's place in the championship match was going to be Carmella, aka the most beautiful woman in all of WWE, 
And Bianca Belair came out and was talking about how she didn't know whether if it was, you know, her faking an injury or if it was her, um, you know, just trying to play with her head. But she does wish her a speedy recovery or whatever. But she's going to be ready for whoever she has to face. Then um, Liv Morgan basically came out and was yelling at Sonya Deville and basically said that if you don't put me in the uh, money in the women's money in the bank match for smackdown you know i'm just gonna yell and, and basically just continue to get in her face but then sonya deville said that basically since carmella is being taken out of the um, money in the bank match now that she has her championship match she put Liv morgan in and now there needs to be two more women um from the smackdown roster to be put in to the money in the bank match now so Liv morgan is finally in it she's proven herself worthy to be in it and that's a good thing. And Bianca Belair is facing Carmella at Money in the Bank. So I'm not sure if it's going to still be an I quit match or if it's just going to be a regular match with regular stipulations. But I'm okay with that. And then Sonya Deville was like, look, girl, I was about to say your name for Liv Morgan. But since you want to come out here and do it, fine. Yes, you are in the match. But if you say yet another word, I will change my mind and kick you out of it. Like Sonya Deville don't play she really does not play and I love seeing her being an authoritative figure like it's really cool daddy DeVille does not play any games um so yeah also involving the women the women's tag team champions Natalia and Tamina were out there to face you know a mystery opponent a mystery team that we had never seen on the main roster of Smackdown before so a lot of people were rumbling you know how it could who it could be you know if it could be somebody from NXT or whatever so as it turns out it was revealed once the music hit that it was Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox, who we just saw in the Great American Bash make her return. This surprised me because I thought maybe it would be Shotzi and Ember, but at the very least, at least Shotzi was able to make her debut. And sadly enough, when she was on Twitter, she said, for you, dad, because her dad did recently pass away um, a little bit after she um, won the women's tag team matches the women's tag team titles on nxt so i was really sad but i'm so happy that her and natalia her and um tegan knox were able to have that moment i was so surprised and i was so thrilled to see them make their debut and i'm pretty sure triple h was somewhere crying but you know let's not talk about daddy triple h um this match was really quick but it was also really good um so shotzi and tegan who were known as shotzi and knox um on the on the main roster exploded through the curtain on the um tank and they announced to the world their call up and then they dominated the match um completely catching the champions off guard and then earning an upset victory following Blackheart's ball pit finisher on the Queen of Hearts. So Shotzi literally pinned an Italian Nightheart. Like what? That was really cool. And you could tell that Tegan was really shocked by it too outside of the ring and they were hugging each other. And you could tell Natty and Tamina were like, what? How could this happen? You know, blah, blah, blah. And also, let me just say, Tamina's hair with the blue and purple was really cute. But that was a really cool upset on their behalf. So I'm really happy for those girls. and I'm glad they were able to have that moment. Um, Yeah, that was cool. So I'm trying to think if there's now involving also involving the women they announced that tony storm is going to making going to be making her smackdown debut coming soon so we don't know when that soon is going to be but i'm really looking forward to seeing her but also i want to know where in the world is um mia yim 
like she's on the SmackDown roster, but I guess she's taking care of her fiance, Keith Lee, um, for now. But honestly, I want to see her, you know, make her debut, you know, outside of her being, you know, reckoning in um, retribution on Raw. Like, I want to see her do, you know, more things and actually make her presence known on SmackDown since all these new stars are being called up now. So, yeah, like the SmackDown women's roster is beginning to get, you know, take shape in a new way. And I'm happy about that. So that's really all that happened with the women. So back to the men. The show started with Roman Reigns, of course, kicking off the broadcast. Um, and he was taking exception to Edge's claims from a week ago that he's afraid of him and that um, Edge is in his head. And he basically said that, you know, you're not in my head. You know, I dominated at WrestleMania and I won the match and printed a shirt based on it. And then the topic of conversation turned to family. And then Jimmy Uso made his way to the ring, much to the chagrin of a lot of wrestling fans who try to root for people to get suspended or fired or whatever who need to chill. Um, Then after insinuating that Roman Reigns was on vacation, um, he said that he was busy doing what he couldn't do and Jay Uso came back and he said that he was back for all of them as opposed to choosing which one he was going to be there for um like he had to do a couple weeks ago he said look I'm here for you Roman and I'm here for you because you Jimmy because you're my brother and Jay vowed to always have his brothers back and then Roman Reigns reiterated that there was that nobody that can touch them when they were all together and weirdly enough during this promo um Jay was talking about how they need to get refocused on becoming the seven time um tag team champions again and then Roman was saying that's what I was saying I think that's a great idea but just a few weeks ago Roman you was being fake and talking about how it wasn't a good idea for them to try to win the tag championships and you ruined their opportunity when they had the match against Ray and Dominic so which one is it gonna be but whatever I just got mad but either way which one is it gonna be Roman like are you gonna be cool for them or are you not gonna be cool for them it's only cool if it's his idea though but not theirs but ugh, it's so abusive and it's gross either way um after they said that they had a group hug and they hugged each other and it felt outside of the realm of kayfabe it looked like they were trying to support you know jimmy who had just got caught up in all of his dui drama and stuff like that but at the same time you know with jay telling him i'm always gonna be here for you and all this other stuff and they was group hugging but then of course to bring it back into the realm of kayfabe roman reigns had this dastardly look on his face that said i'm gonna use you two bitches and it was so terrible but you know it's okay so i'm happy that everything's okay with this bloodline so it's all right so and here's just hoping that jimmy uso and the rest of the family can get the help and the healing that they need and maybe that help and that healing does not come with them losing their jobs because how else can you get help and healing if you don't have money so yeah either way help and healing to all of them so then after that we had a money in the bank qualifying match involving king nakamura versus baron corbin And Barry Corbin's just been on the struggle bus lately since he's lost his crown and his ability to call himself king. Um, He had his his Mercedes G-Wagon repoed. His crown is gone. He's growing gray hair out of his face. Like, I didn't even know he could grow gray hair, but he really is growing gray hair. Like, it's crazy. So then Big E and um, Pat McAfee were watching at ringside and enjoying pedicures with each other, which was really cute. Um... 
Pat McAfee really be out here living his best commentator life and I enjoy it so much. He's just a fan like all of us. Um, Shinsuke and Baron Corbin continued in their feud. Um, Corbin took off shots about his financial status and the loss of his King of the Ring crown to dominate his opponent really early. Like he got really mad. Nakamura fought back and then had him reeling, but then Baron Corbin drove King um, Nakamura into the announce table as they went to commercial break. Then they came back from break with Corbin surviving a triangle choke from a resurgent Nakamura and then turned him inside out with a big clothesline. And then King Nakamura answered with a Kinshasa and scored the pinfall victory to advance to the Money in the Bank match, which basically continues the downward spiral of Baron Corbin. So I'm assuming maybe he's just going to, you know, he's at rock bottom right now and it's just he needs to figure out his life and what his identity is going to be outside of him being king and all that other stuff so hey it's whatever so it's really a nice touch to see him on spiraling like that so it's cool then with the men we had another money in the bank qualifier involving cesaro and seth rollins and this is where i got upset because Seth Rollins won this match and I was very upset about it because they have been feuding you know since after Wrestlemania and it's just for Cesaro who has been working his entire life to have an opportunity at a main big title like that you would think that they would give that opportunity to qualify for the money in the bank match to him but not Seth Rollins who's had money in the bank before and then committed one of the best you know cash-ins in history you know and I'm not taking that away from Seth Rollins and he's a Grand Slam champion he's done all all sorts of amazing things on top of being married to Becky Lynch now congratulations and having a baby but God it's not all about Seth Rollins all the time like let Cesaro win and let him have the opportunity at a bigger title why is he not in it He was my number two pick and my number one pick to win the whole Money in the Bank match is Big E because he definitely deserves another opportunity because don't because I would really hate for them to have split up the new day, you know, and it not mean anything in the grand scheme of it. Big E deserves an opportunity, too, but I would have loved to have seen Cesaro qualify for the Money in the Bank match, but he's not and Seth is in it. And it's just like, oh, I was just so irritated by it. Like, just why? Just why? It just really disappointed me. Just, I just don't understand the point of it. Like, Seth doesn't need it. Cesaro needs it. That made me mad. But moving past that, um, Edge sent a message to Roman Reigns um, to wrap up the show. Edge came out there to the ring to wrap up the show. And then he called out Roman Reigns ahead of the Universal Championship match at um, Money in the Bank. And he basically, you know, got in Seth Rollins' face after he was bragging backstage to Kayla Braxton about how he qualified for the Money in the Bank match. You know, and he said, I'm going to do something you don't have the courage to do. And that's call Roman Reigns out in the ring. So he did. And then um, Edge doubled down on the idea that Roman Reigns fears him and that he vowed to take the Universal Championship at Money in the Bank. And then he threw down the proverbial punk card and called Reigns out. Then Roman Reigns was watching in the locker room that he rose and left and ordered his cousins, the Usos, to stay backstage. Roman Reigns made his way to the ring only for the Usos to go out there anyway and disobey him. And he was upset about that Um, because Jay was concerned it was going to be a trap or something. But they just came out there to be supportive. 
But then uh, Roman entered the ring without his cousins and then exchanged all kinds of punches with Edge. And then Ray and Dominic, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, came out there and beat up the Usos at ringside and came armed with chairs. But yet, this is the second week in a row they've attacked somebody with chairs, but yet the people without the chairs got the advantage over them. And I really think that they need to just get a little bit more buck. If you're going to come out there with weapons, come out there with weapons and dominate, dang it. So that just irritated me. But um, Jimmy and Jay fought back, but not before Edge planted Roman Reigns with an Impaler DDT. And then Edge set up for a spear, but then the Usos took him down before then. Then the Mysterios made the save, but then Roman Reigns escaped up the ramp with his white head of the table t-shirt, which is so cute, and his beautifully conditioned hair, because God, I mean... He belonged in a L'Oreal commercial, the way his hair was looking Friday night. But yeah, I'm done thirsting. But either way, um, I love a man with hair. Um, <laughs> but Roman Reigns escaped up the ramp. And then Edge, with the assistance of Ray and Dominic, he applied the chair-assisted crossface to Jay as Roman Reigns watched from the stage. And what's so funny is it's like, he loves for his cousins to have his back, but he never has his cousins back. And that's irritating. Like, I want them to kind of just get the picture and understand that Roman Reigns is just manipulating them and using them in the name of love and family. And that's not how love is supposed to work. Love and manipulation do not go together, guys. It really doesn't. So that's the end of this um, recap for um, the week. And now we're going to conclude everything and wrap it up. so thank you guys for listening to this bonus episode of the hardy wrestling podcast i want to thank amber nova for coming on my show and for giving me the tune-up that my show really needed girl thank you so much and i wish you nothing more um than success and awesome tune-ups as you go forward in your career and please follow her on all of her social media channels and watch her matches and stuff like that and if she's in a city near you please check her out so um, if you want to stay in contact and know what's going on with the Hardy Wrestling Podcast and your girl, Stephanie Hardy, um, please follow the Hardy Wrestling Podcast on Instagram at Hardy Wrestling Podcast, on Twitter at Hardy Wrestle Pod, and follow me on Twitter, um, your girl, Stephanie Hardy. Follow me at Queen Steph Hardy on um, Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow the Hardy Wrestling Podcast page on Facebook. So, um... Until next time, I hope you're being safe and still, you know, living your best life and being your best self. And also remember, as wrestling fans, continue to be more um, gracious and more compassionate towards wrestlers, because at the end of the day, they may do superhuman things, but they're still very much human beings who go through, you know, struggles and mistakes just like we do. So please just just remember to just be nice to one another and not be toxic to one another just because we may or may not agree with each other or stuff like that or like the same type of wrestling. We can still be a family and still not like the same things and still, you know, give our favorite wrestlers some grace whenever they make mistakes and not attach not attach responsibility to people, you know, whose responsibility it isn't whenever they do make mistakes. So um until next time this is your girl stephanie hardy of the hardy wrestling podcast bye y'all